Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Aesthetic Insider Radio Show. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. One of the many things that we have found that our listeners uh, really enjoy to hear about is better ways for staff management, especially in an aesthetic practice. Um, Today I have um, a super interesting guest on the show. We're here with Dr. Filiberto Rodriguez of RGV Cosmetic Surgery and Bain Care. Dr. Rodriguez is a cosmetic surgeon with practices in both Edinburgh, Texas and Brownsville, Texas, which is in the south of the state. Dr. Rodriguez, welcome to Aesthetic Insider. Oh, yes, thank you. Yeah, well, you know, we were talking, um, you know, one of the things that is is obviously very important to our listeners who, you know, the majority of them are um, physicians within the aesthetic industry and um, plastic and dermatologists and and all of those those specialties that are represented here um you know have um practice management issues and things that are new to them and so one of the the things i did really want to get in touch with it was about with cedar hr solutions i understand that is a company that you work with to help with um your you know medical practice staff management and training is that correct Yes, yes. I've, I've been with Cedar now, coming up on almost four years, um, as far as managing my human resources and employee manual policies and procedures, um, tech things, and they've been they've been very good to work with, very helpful. So, Dr. Rodriguez, can you give us some background about yourself and your practice before I start asking you lots of questions about Cedar? Um, like I said, I understand you have two locations, and for for many of us, managing one is uh, not always easier, but managing two, I would imagine, has uh, new sets of issues for you to deal with. Yeah, um, no question that one of the things that my wife and I, who's also a physician, she's in my practice, she was in OBGYN, but now helps me manage the varicose vein component of our practice. And we juggle almost on a daily basis where we're going to be staffing our staff to cover our clinics, because both run full-time five days a week in both locations. So my history is, you know, I did study undergraduate at uh, Princeton University with a degree in economics while I was completing my pre-med studies uh, before attending the University of Virginia for medical school on a full scholarship. And then uh, my initial plan was to do cardiothoracic surgery. Uh, My father started the heart surgery program here in McAllen, Texas in 1983 after training in Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic. So I was at Stanford University training for cardiothoracic surgery for over nine years, including general surgery, the research, and then the fellowship. And then halfway through that fellowship, I had a sudden neck injury that caused me to take some time off after I recovered from uh, neck surgery. And my neurosurgeon recommended strongly against me returning to cardiac, which required wearing loops and standing in a static standing position for prolonged periods of time. And I'd always enjoyed plastic reconstructive surgery. I was fortunate to obtain a fellowship position at the 
plastic surgery program at UCLA. Um, I did that for a year, reconstructive surgery, before I had a second neck injury, forcing me to uh, resign from that program and focus the whole year on rehabbing my neck. And during that time, I began working with a retired heart surgeon down here who had started a very large varicose vein clinic. And once I was um, healthy, I applied and uh, was accepted into a cosmetic surgery fellowship, which I completed at Scottsdale, Arizona. And that fellowship was instrumental in me learning how to really manage a large, busy uh, practice. I think this, my, my mentor had 18 to 20 employees, and that's kind of where I find myself today. What a story. I mean, that is uh, amazing that, you know, you have obviously a, a very um, great educational background here, and then the, the switching careers has given you, I would imagine, quite an all-encompassing understanding of many aspects of the medical and aesthetic field. So you have two locations, and how many staff do you actually have now but go back and forth between those two locations? Yeah, it's about, it's about 19, about 19 people, uh, not including the physicians. You know, my, my wife and I, I don't really count us as employees since we kind of run the practice, but, yeah, we have about uh, 18 to 19 employees. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big team. And, and what yeah. procedures, that you, you mentioned Bain, but, you know, what are the procedures that are you and your practice especially known for now? Well, in our office settings, we perform all of our varicose vein treatments. Uh, we use laser ablation treatment for greater saphenous vein reflux and microstep lobectomies for um, the visible residual varicose veins, followed finally by sclerotherapy for the small residual spider veins. And we're very known for that. We're the largest clinic in the area for the vein treatments. And then as far as myself as a cosmetic surgeon, I'm, I'm basically known as the person who will fix you if you went to Mexico and had a bad job done or um, you really want to get a complex um, mommy makeover, um, abdominoplasty with or without a hysterectomy, which is complex in and of itself, complex revision breast augmentation, trans-umbilical breast augmentation, revision breast surgery, um, basically anything neck down on the body including gluteal implants, body implants, um, obviously fat transfer and liposuction to multiple areas. And that really drives us, keeping me busy in the OR maybe four to five days a week while our vein clinic's running in both places and seeing patients and consults. Mm, that's wonderful. So all that kind of keeps like us busy. You sound like you're very busy. That's wonderful. Um, you know, now you mentioned earlier that you also studied economics at Princeton. Is that what you, you had said? Yes, yes, I did yeah. do that. That was actually on purpose. Well, and what made you, you know, because I, I, I have had, you know, a couple of other doctors on the, on the show in the past who have got an MBA, or you know, they've done some other, other kind of more business type programs after they've, you know, gotten their MD. What made you decide to study economics at Princeton? Well, you know, like, like I alluded to earlier, I grew up. Uh, my, uh, my father was a cardiac surgeon. He had traditional educational background were primarily biology and medical school. And one thing I saw him suffering with uh, was, one, managing his practice and staff, uh, two, managing his finances in terms of proper investments. I mean, he did great. I mean, he did great. He's a heart surgeon in the 80s. But I, I just saw that certainly that's something that was lacking in medical education and training. And, you know, an economics degree at Princeton is not equivalent to a business degree per se, but it certainly helped structure my my thinking very analytical 
you know, algorithmic thinking and also understanding concepts, you know, cost-benefit, um, supply and demand. Um, I think these issues are extremely irrelevant when you talk about an aesthetic surgery practice, cosmetic surgery practice, which is really retail medicine. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I just, I mean, absolutely, that retail medicine is something that I think many Many aesthetic surgeons overlook. You know, they they still think they're a medical practice and treating sick people when that's not necessarily the case. Um, so it seems like you know you you obviously have learned quite a lot from your father being a surgeon, and then you mentioned that your wife is also a a medical doctor. Um, what other learning experience would you have? Say that you have had that you can apply to running a practice based on, you know, your understanding of them? Well, you know, maybe not so much from my father or my wife, but I would say one of the most unique elements of my training was the three years of research I spent at Stanford uh, studying, you know, cardiac surgery and mitral valve disease. And that was the first time I was pulled out of the traditional medical student, resident, do what you're told, when you're told, and put into a very leadership position you know, we, we, we managed, as the research fellows, a team of 10 people under us, including the veterinarians who helped us take care of our large animals because we were doing large animal surgery. Um, the veterinarian would come in to do the anesthesia, our, our junior fellows in the lab. So that experience and then working with my mentor in the lab to synthesize my data, to properly present it in an organized fashion at, at the national meeting level, it was a very educational experience that certainly affected how I came back to my general surgery and cardiac surgery training and much more advanced places as far as how to interact with people. And Stanford training stressed that to me a lot. And then, as I alluded to, I was very fortunate to do my cosmetic surgery fellowship at the Body Sculpting Center in Scottsdale, Arizona. And my mentor there uh, had successfully built his own ambulatory surgery center with two ORs, had a very large clinic with a large staff and successfully managed a staff of almost 20 people. And, you know, he's the one who introduced me to the importance of policies and procedures, um, you know, hiring and firing criteria, vacation policies, all these little things that you kind of take for granted, uh, especially if you come out of your medical training and you kind of go work for someone else's practice or go work for a hospital. But really understanding that, you know, if you're going to be employing all these people, you have a huge responsibility, um, and that he's really who introduced me to that concept of, of, you know, policies, procedures, and managing staff. Now, would you say there was any kind of a catalyst that helped you decide, you know, when you were going to go into private practice that you were going to kind of, like you, you mentioned, you've been working with CEDA for the past four years now. Um, mm-hmm. What was it that kind of helped develop that relationship for you? Well, I remember when I got accepted into my cosmetic surgery fellowship, I received in the mail what was essentially my proctor's policies and procedures manual that I had to sign off on, initial every page, and send back to him. And in that, I started seeing, you know, hiring, firing criteria, what are grounds for disciplinary action, when are vacations observed. Everything was kind of loosely spelled out there. It was a short 20-page manual. It was nothing as all-inclusive as what I got from CEDAR, but that's what introduced me to this concept of needing this type of document to help me manage my staff. And he graciously gave me a copy of it, which I modified for my purposes when I finished and came back down 
because I instantly inherited a large staff once I took over this large vein clinic from oh, I see. the older heart surgeon. So I knew instantly I was going to need to, I mean, at that time it was maybe 10 employees, you know, not as much, but still I needed to establish order. And I, he was running it more mom and pop, old-fashioned style, the way most doctors do, where everything was just kind of, nothing was really written. Everything was just kind of verbally, I guess, we'll make it up as we go along. Mm-hmm. And I saw that that's not where you needed to be in medicine anymore. And in my lifetime, I've certainly seen how Medicare has devastated cardiac surgery by cutting reimbursement. I've seen how Medicare audits and the fear of fraud is worse today than 20 years ago when doctors were more worried about being sued. And then I saw that because there's tort reform in Texas, as there is in California, most lawyers aren't interested in malpractice suits against doctors. What they're interested in is low-lying fruit, which is employment law violations, which if you don't have a policy and procedures in place and you don't know what the difference is between an, an exempt employee and a non-exempt employee and one who gets paid overtime and who doesn't, you can get into a lot of trouble really fast. Yeah, yeah it is and interesting. So, and sorry. It, yeah, and I mean, and it seems to be that it's it's almost like a growing trend in, like you said, it's a low-hanging fruit. It's something they can go after easily. Um, many physicians are not understanding of of simple compliances that can become big problems. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I was basically made aware of this. I was kind of happy with this little packet I had in place, and certainly something's better than nothing. But one of the hospitals here. We in, in McAllen, Texas, we have one of the largest physician-owned hospitals in the country here. And the New York Times actually wrote I'm not, uh, interesting articles about it in the past, but more to the point, they sponsored um, a continuing edu- uh, medical education lecture entitled Preventing Embezzlement and Litigation in Your Practice. And this was given by Paul uh, from Cedar. He's the um, oh, okay. One who started theater. That's why I was introduced. And so, you know, first thing asked, who in this room has a policy and procedures manual? And I think I was the only one in the hand who in the room who raised my hand. And he said, Well, I'd like to take a look at what you got and let me see what I can help you with after this, you don't mind. And and as he went through the talk and I started learning about nuances about employment law and it was obvious that I needed, you know, someone like Cedar. And when yeah, I looked okay. at it financially, you know, it was not very expensive to get started. Um, a couple thousand dollars, and then that gave me a huge policy procedure manual. And then the most important part of it was the monthly support for a small amount of money. I think it's less than $200 a month. I have access to their employment law experts anytime a question comes up or if I have to you know, fire someone. Uh, where we're in the process of hiring someone. We make sure we follow all the steps properly so that someone can't come back and say that we did something wrong. Now, when you first began working with Cedar HR Solutions, had, did you have any employee issues, or was it just purely because you had a, a handbook and you were sitting in this conference and then Paul helped you understand that your employee handbook could do with some updating? <laughs> you know, how did, how did your yeah, relationship no, I come about? I have my employee handbook, and at that time I think we were already up to maybe 12 or 14 employees, and um, I haven't had any particular problems with them, but... This is something that I would fall under as preventative medicine. It's something that's necessary to successfully run a small business. And yeah. I think that what a, time, a lot of time physicians don't understand is what we do, if you are in private practice, and most aesthetic providers are, 
because no one's going to pay you to be an aesthetic provider in a hospital. So by definition, you are essentially running a small business. And to do so, you have to have policies and procedures. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, absolutely. An, an employee handbook, obviously, that clearly sets out responsibilities and parameters, I would imagine, must bring a sense of order to the practice, especially one with a large staff like yours. Would you agree? I, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that Cedar helped me do and understand that it's actually important to have very clearly defined job responsibilities for everyone in the practice. So we have a job responsibilities that they helped me with that included things I would have never thought about, um, mm-hmm. like must have fine muscle coordination for my surgical assistants. Well, that's kind of obvious, but they literally spell it out. So we have job descriptions for front desk, job descriptions for medical assistants in the back, job descriptions for our ultrasound technician, job description for our, our nurse injector, nurse practitioner. Everyone has separate jobs, and there's a description that's appropriate to that, and they sign it, and they agree that these are their job responsibilities and descriptions that are obviously are not all-inclusive but are pretty um, descriptive. Yeah, and I would imagine that when the staff are clear on you know, what you expect of them and what your practice manager expects of them, it actually helps improve their performance and general happiness within the job, I would imagine. Uh, no, there's no question that the, there's less, there's less uh, room for error because no one has to assume what their job responsibility is. They kind of know what their responsibility is. And then secondly, if there is a problem, it's very easy for us to bring them in, point out, hey, listen, you are not meeting this criteria or you're successfully failing this. They know we have a policy for tardiness, policy for, you know, improper performance of job, especially if it puts patients at risk. You know, if you suggest patients to the risk of wrong site surgery, well, that's clearly under the responsibility of a medical assistant to make sure that there's a pre-op checklist that's performed properly. And so it makes creating a record of disciplinary action much easier. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. And that is so, that record is so important, especially when it comes down to any disputes that need to be settled with the Labor Board. You know, now tell me, because, yeah, you know, I know Cedar, you know, Cedar HR Solutions writes, from what I understand, very comprehensive employee handbooks that are customized and specific to each practice. Um, and then those handbooks are also checked by their in-house specialist attorneys. Um, even so, did you ever have an employee situation that came at you, you know, came at you at a left field, so to speak, that was not covered in the employee handbook? Yeah, I, I, you know, there's a couple things there in what you brought up. Um, as far as the customized employee handbook, that's, I think, where listeners have to understand that that means a lot of work on the part of the provider. So they will send you an employee manual that's very long, about 80 pages, but in no way is it complete and in no way is it customized. I customized it to my practice based on their guidelines. So there's oh, a question, what's your, what's your practice description? What's your practice philosophy? Okay, when do you want to observe holidays? Do you want to observe holidays? And so I kind of had an idea. So how are you going to give your patients your vacation time? How are you going to structure that? Do they have to be an employee for a year before they get vacation time or six months? Or So there's a lot of leeway on how we um, do that. And that is what they mean by the customizable. And then, yes, they do check. They're out of Arizona, 
but they are very well versed, especially in particular in Texas employment law and also California employment law. But certainly, if there's someone from out of those three states, they they, they do the research to make sure that everything's compliant for each state. And so, once that employment manual is in place, I have a separate nurse injector who is paid by commission, and we had drafted a separate agreement for her because in terms of her how to pay her with by commission. But one thing that wasn't in that agreement was, well, what happens if I have to make a refund? Or what happens mm. if I have to refund the money? And so there's, there's a law, right? I can't just go to my nurse injector and say, hey, I have to refund the money. You owe me that back. Because unless that's explicitly stated and she's agreed, I as an employer can't do that to an employee. Unless that's been agreed upon before and that they sign off and agree that if I have to refund, that will be subtracted from their commission. And so that was redrafted, and we've resolved that problem. Now, that's something definitely we didn't expect, and most yeah. providers wouldn't expect to think of that little detail in their agreements with their nurse injectors. But that's of one course. example. And they're very plastic. They're very, you know, they work very well to, oh, okay, let's fix that. Yeah, interesting, yeah, because that is definitely something that, you know, you don't really think about well, what happens if you do have to issue a refund to somebody, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, for you, most doctors would think it's, in, it's intuitive. Oh, mm-hmm. well, then my nurse injector gives you the money back. Uh, but yeah. see, but the law doesn't make it that simple. That's the problem is a lot of what seems intuitive when dealing with employees is not. The yeah. law has made it very complicated, and the law is designed – in all honesty, to protect the employee and yeah. not the physician. Because the physician yeah. is the employer. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's definitely what I've understood is that the Labor Board is definitely on the side of, of the employee. And in many instances, that's a good thing. Um, but in, mm-hmm. in some instances, then, you know, perhaps, um, you know, it doesn't really help the employer in any way. You know, I do have a, a, a question because, you know, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, when you first began working with CEDAR and they had a specific, um, you know, thing that took initiate you as a, as a new client of theirs and the employee handbook, and then you said now you're on a, a monthly um, customer agreement, so is that where you can call in and ask questions, or how, how does that um, support help you in the practice? Well, I mean that supports part of the part of the deal. I mean, I, I think anyone who just does this to get the employee manual and doesn't do the monthly support is really missing out because anytime there's a patient, I mean, I'm mean, sorry, anytime there's an employee issue, you need to have someone. And it's you know, if, it, if, it, if a provider thinks how expensive would it be to call my lawyer every time I had an employee question, that would write write you know increases the cost extremely. Put you out of business. As opposed to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. As opposed to having theater on call, basically, I think it's less than $200 a month. I, I don't know. I really don't know exactly what I pay, but I know it's very little. And yes, there have been months where I've had, I've had to uh, fire a, a physician associate, you know, who breached his employment contract, but it wasn't that simple. It was pretty complicated. You know, it's, it's a big deal firing another doctor much less firing just employees. So, yeah, so I have questions, you know, hey, and you got to make it so that they can't come back at you and claim wrongful termination, that they can't come back and claim ageism against you, that they can't come back at you and claim. So absolutely, when these these decisions are being made, they're very complicated and have to be done just right. Um, So it's gotten to the point where my office manager, my director of operations, 
she is on a first-name basis with one of the top employment lawyers there at Cedar, and she'll send her an email and say, hey, look, we're having this going on in practice. What do you recommend? And then they'll hash out a solution before they bring me into the loop. You know, and then they say, hey, okay. this is what's going on. I talk with Cedar about it. This is what they recommend. And I go, you know what, I agree. That makes a lot of sense. And that helps tremendously because, obviously, I'm really only productive if I'm in the OR operating or seeing patients. I have a person who I hired, thankfully, who had experience in human resources. And for her, having Cedar as a resource is invaluable because she kind of has an idea what to do. She calls up Cedar, and they tell her exactly this is how you need to do it. And we'll actually help type up the document to have the employee sign this, you know, blah. So it's an extremely helpful resource. Wow. Now, I would imagine, you know, you say, you know, like by figuring out the secret to freeing yourself from all these internal practice employee management tasks, you can spend more time doing what you love to do and what you do best, and that's to be in the OR. Um, so what are your next steps for the future with your practice and, and what you're creating there in Texas? Um, you know, we've been here to the point where, you know, I'm obviously having my father's same name really helped as far as name recognition, having been from the town and everyone knows what my education's been, what my process has been. They were very welcoming me when I returned to the community and as a result, especially also with my wife's um, reputation and her father's reputation, you know, our practice grew very quickly. So now we're at the point where we know what our what our volume is and a steady. This goes back to the economic training. So I know now I can look back for the past maybe five six years and look and say, okay, this is what I've been trending in terms of surgery per um, month per year. This is how much I'm expending on OR fees, and for this much money, I can build my own uh, 2OR ambulatory ambulatory surgery center, build myself a bigger office that I need in order to see the patients I'm seeing. Since I'm operating four days a week, I need to be able to see patients easily between cases and not have to, thankfully, my office is very close to the two ORs where I primarily operate, but still that involves driving somewhere as opposed to walking into the next room. So we're in the process of building ourselves a 16,000-square-foot ambulatory surgery center combined with our new offices. Um, And that's we're still going to keep our second location in Brownsville, Texas, um, but... That's going to be the big change. Well, congratulations. That sounds wonderful. And what a great thing to be doing. I mean, especially for you and your patients and and having such a a much larger presence in the community. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And and it is actually ultimately having one place where I do my surgeries ultimately enhances patient safety because one of the variables if you happen to operate at two or three different facilities is they have different staff that may not be familiar with your cases. And so you eliminate that variability. So ultimately, this further enhances patient safety. Now, now, based on you know your experience in your own practice, and you know all of these different centers where you've been trained, and and family help, and working with Cedar for the past four years, is there anything to a new physician starting out? Because you know many physicians, you know they start out on their own, or they start out with a part-time, you know secretary, receptionist, or, you know, they don't walk into a practice with 10 existing staff members, but what would be, you know, some advice that you can you can give to our listeners um, that are new to aesthetics and new to a, a private practice? 
in, in terms well, of Well, you know, one of my one of my employees. best friends. Yeah, sorry. One of my best friends from college is a urologist in Los Angeles, and he'd been working in a group practice for many years. And policies with the dynamics, whatever. He and, and one of the other associates decided to break away and start their own private practice. And you know, in doing so, they were going to have to hire medical assistants. They're going to have to hire, you know, uh, front desk staff and uh, a biller, et cetera. So all of that, I told them, look, you need to just start working with Cedar from the beginning to simplify all of this for you because you can easily get into a lot of trouble if you don't do things right, especially in California. Yeah. And so he took that advice, and he called Cedar, and he's been working with them to get the policy procedures done right from the beginning. Now, most practitioners who are new to aesthetics, I think it's different. Um, if you're a family practice doctor who's trying to transition into a med spa practice, you probably have a pretty big staff already, and you should have policies and procedures in place. Um, it's, I think this is more of an issue for like a new plastic surgeon right out of training who's going to rent an office and hire staff. Even though they may think they have a small staff, like I only have one front desk and one medical assistant helping me, you still kind of need policies and procedures to take care of those two. That one employees. person, yeah. Exactly, to make sure that things are being done by the book. Because as much as you may know about medicine and, or surgery, you really don't know a lot about employment law. Because that's just not something that we were trained in. Of course. So I think it's a, an error to assume, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. I can take care of it myself. I think that's the mistake that often is made in um, private practice physicians. Because, you know, the concept of a private practice physician is um, it's a historic thing of the past because most residents coming out of training today take on full-time employment at hospitals. I think that's where aesthetic surgery and dentistry is another example that's an exception. is very unique because most of the people who practice aesthetic surgery are independent business owners. They're not employed by anyone to be a cosmetic surgeon, like I said earlier. Um, that's also, theater actually got their start working with dentists who for years have had to deal with large staff, hiring and firing, because most dentists are small business owners, just like aesthetic um, surgery and aesthetic uh, dermatologists. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I mean, mean definitely, and I do think for for our listeners who are new to us, new to the private practice, I think having a chat with somebody over at Cedar and getting those policies and even job descriptions in place before you hire somebody, so then you can be hiring based on, you know, a job description that that works for you. But you know, Doctor Rodriguez. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to add on what you said. One of the things is, is even if you have employees. You still work with Cedar. Get a policy and procedures manual in place and have your existing employees sign the new policies and procedures. And that way everyone's on board. This isn't something like, oh, moving forward. No, this is like, this is retroactive too. Like, I already have a great set of employees, but let me get my policy and procedures in place, have them sign off on their job descriptions, have them sign off on their policies and procedures so that moving forward, if there's any problems, I'm taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, Dr. Rodriguez, for our listeners, you know, we have come to the end of our show here, but for our listeners who would want to know more about you and your practice, um, is there a website that they can look at? Um, if you can share that, oh, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we actually have two websites. Our, 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 our main website is RGV, which is short for Rio Grande Valley, which is where we live in South Texas. So it's rgvcosmetic.com. Um, and then we also have uh, valleyvein.com, but rgvcosmetic.com, 
and certainly people are welcome to visit our site and um, learn a little bit more about what we do. Well, great. Well, well, Dr. Rodriguez, thank you so much. This has been such a really informative interview, and um, I'd love to have you back on the show again sometime in the future. Absolutely. I'd be uh, honored. Thank you. Okay. Well, great. Well, you have a great day, and thank you so much once again, um, Dr. Rodriguez. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.